Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2014 Santa Clara Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to Mark chapter 4. And I want to share some things with you tonight that go right along with some of the things that I was already saying about, you know, how God called us to make disciples and how we have been too dependent upon ministers. Matter of fact, I'm going to come to Mark chapter 4, but keep your finger there. But look over here in Ephesians chapter 4 at a passage of scripture. I'll start with it. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse uh, 12, or let me back up. In verse 11, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. This is talking about the fivefold ministry. And God called people to those offices. You know, praise God, I am one of these offices right here. God called me to be a teacher. Uh, just recently, I was really blessed to have Kenneth Copeland call me out and separate me to the office of a prophet. And I've known for years that I was already operating in that. And anyway, I operate in some of these gifts right here. And so I'm not against them. Okay? I am for them. We got somebody holding up an offering uh, thing right here. If you'll get that, we don't want to let any offerings go. <laughs> So I'm not against the fivefold ministry, but look at what it says. Right after it says that he's called us to all of these things, in the next verse it says, in verse um, 12, it says the reason we are called is for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. These ministry gifts, people who are called and anointed to like full-time service are given to train up other people so that they can do the work of the ministry and perfect the saints. Did you know ministers are not supposed to be the ones who are carrying the load? I'm gonna say some broad statements right here that probably need explanation and I'm just gonna let it go. I hadn't got time to minister on this, but the way our church is set up, the pastor, is the one that leads everybody to the Lord, that does all of the praying, that has all of the vision. And that is not the way that the Lord set it up. The Lord set it up so that the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher teach the people and the people are the ones who do the work of the ministry. The people should be the one doing this. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of Mel Tari. But Mel Tari, back in the 70s and 80s, he was the one that wrote the book entitled Like a Mighty Wind. And it was, a, it was a book about the revival that took place in Indonesia. People walked on water. They saw the dead raised. They had supernatural miracles. It was just tremendous, all of the things that happened. And I mean, it took uh, the charismatic world by the storm in the late 60s and early 70s. And Mel Tari was a real well-known speaker. I spoke with him a few times. And he uh, just gave all of these testimonies. I mean, it was like the book of Acts happening today. And then he wrote a second book called The Gentle Breeze of Jesus. And I was with him in a full gospel businessman's thing. And people asked him about, you know, has this revival continued on? And this was in the early 80s. 
And he says, now we don't see hardly any miracles happen in the church. And when he said that, immediately there was like, you know, sadness, like, well, it's a shame the thing died out. And he said, no, the revival's stronger than it's ever been, but it's not in the church. He says, when it started, it started in the church because the people were so dead and so hurt and so wounded and so people were being healed and miracles happening and things in the church. But he says, now they don't see anybody born again in the church. They don't see people healed in the church. Everybody in the church is healed. And what they do, they go out on the streets and he says they are seeing more miracles than they've ever seen happen, but it doesn't happen in the church. It happens on the street through the people in the church who were revived and set free. And I believe that that's the way that God intended it to be. Shepherds don't have sheep. Shepherds tend the sheep and sheep produce sheep. It's really wrong that the pastor is meant to be the one that evangelizes and gets everything done. The pastor should be training the people. And you know, I'm not against pastors. I've been one. I have pastors. Barry is a pastor. I've got great friends that are pastors. I'm not against pastors, but I'm saying the way that it's being done in the church today is not the way that God intended it to be done. And that's the reason that the church is not having as big of an influence. You know, if the church was doing what God called it to do, there would be no need for a Karis Bible College. Karis Bible College is a result of the churches not discipling people. I could spend all night talking about discipleship. I'm going to go on to something else. Let me just say this quickly. But you think about this, that God called us to make disciples, not converts. He called us to teach people all things whatsoever you have learned. And Jesus went on to say that unless you continue in my words, you are not my disciple. The average Christian only hears about one hour's worth of preaching per week. And if you are a fanatic, you may add to it a 15-minute devotion. And I'm telling you, you will never become a disciple going to church one time a week and spending 15 or 20 minutes in the Word per day. And yet that is descriptive of the vast majority of the body of Christ. That's not being a disciple. And because of it, people don't know what the Word of God says. And, and they're perishing because of a lack of knowledge. I'm telling you, all of the Karis Bible College is doing, all that good churches are doing is discipling people and teaching them what Jesus said. And you, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, my people perish. Well, excuse me, not Jesus over in the back of, but my people perish for a lack of knowledge. If you're struggling today, if you're sick, you have a knowledge problem. If you are depressed, you have a knowledge problem. If you're poor, you've got a knowledge problem. I know some of you disagree with that and you're entitled to your opinion, but I'm not going to agree with you or we'd both be wrong. I'm telling you. The Bible says over in 2 Peter chapter 1, all things that pertain unto life and godliness are given unto you through the knowledge of him that has called you to glory and virtue. All things, that includes healing, prosperity, deliverance, joy, peace, vision, everything comes through knowledge. What you don't know is killing you. And sad to say, the body of Christ has been thought, what I need is somebody to wave their hand over me. What you need is the truth, and the truth will cause healing to come into your body. The truth will cause everything to work. 
And this is what God gave these gifts to the body of Christ so that we could train up people and you could go out and do the work of the ministry. You know, I spend over a million dollars every month on television and radio airtime. And I'm going to wind up spending more. We're still growing. But I spend a million dollars a month and I can guarantee you that every one of you reach people. You influence people through your work, through your family, your neighborhood, your church or whatever. You influence people that will never hear of me. If I spend $10 million a month, it, they'll never hear of me. You influence people that I'll never reach. I don't care how much effort I put into it. If every person in here was understanding, if you had the knowledge and the things that God has taught me and the revelation so that you could go out and love people and show them the gospel and do this, you could, you could just cause a huge revival. 120 people on the day of Pentecost are responsible for everything that's happening in Christianity today because they got full of the Holy Spirit and went out and did it. We've got a lot more than 120. And if we went out and if every one of us began to influence the people around us, I guarantee you, California would change. It would be transformed. But instead, we've got a few people who are anointed that everybody is trying to be drawn to them. That is not the way to do it. It's the most ineffective way to do it. You know, if you took a man who led a thousand people a year to the Lord, that would be awesome. I don't know anybody that leads a thousand people a year to the Lord. That would be an average of around close to three people per day. I don't know anybody that does that. But if you had somebody who could lead a thousand people a year to the Lord, did you know in 12 years they'd have 12,000 people born again? That wouldn't even change any of the major cities in um, California. But if you took a person who was into discipling people, getting people born again, and then teaching them how to be a productive Christian, if they flowed like Ephesians 4 said, and they taught the people so that the people could go do the work of the ministry. And if you only led one person to the Lord every six months, but then you shut yourself up and discipled that person so that they became a reproducing Christian. At the end of uh, six months, there'd be two Christians. At the end of a year, there'd be four. At the end of 18 months, there would be eight and so on. But at the end of 12 and a half years, you would have more than 7 billion disciples. If we were making disciples and people were able to go out and live the Christian life instead of say, come and see a person who can tell you about it. Instead, if you could do it, we could turn the world around in short order and we haven't been doing it. And how do you do that? It's not through prayer. Prayer is important. I am not against prayer, but prayer is not a substitute for knowledge. You've got to know the truth. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 are the scriptures that God used to change my life. And that says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And verse two says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. The word transformed here is the word we get metamorphosis from. If you want to change like a worm can turn into a butterfly, 
If you want to transform from something that is earthbound and ugly to something that can fly and is beautiful, you get transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. The most important thing that will ever happen to you in your Christian life is to renew your mind by the Word of God. And as a whole, the body of Christ is not doing this. We, are, we substitute prayer and we beg God and ask God to please heal us and oh, please move and please do this. The Bible says that the Word is health unto all of your flesh and life unto them that find it in Proverbs chapter 4 around verse 20, 22. It says in Psalms 107 verse uh, 20, it says God sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. If you need to be healed, you don't need somebody to wave their hand over you. You need the Word. The Word will be health to all of your flesh. It will produce healing on the inside of you. If we really believe that, brothers and sisters, we would be in the Word of God. But instead, people just go around and they ask somebody to pray over them, lay hands on them, and if that doesn't work, well, then they just sit there and wait on the next person, and they're looking for a bolt of lightning from heaven. These words are health, and if you would take them and eat them, it would produce health in you. That's absolutely true. Good preaching, Andrew. I know some of you are shocked because, well, I, I just never looked at it that way, obviously. Look over here in Mark chapter 4. Here's where I was trying to get to. And in verse 26, if Mark chapter 4 isn't one of your most favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible, then you are not a student of the Word. Forgive me for being blunt, but I'm telling you, this is pivotal. Jesus said up here, He gave a parable about the sower sowing the seed, and His disciples says, man, what does this mean? And He told them in verse uh, 13, He says, know ye not this parable? And how then will you know all parables? In other words, this is a key to understanding all of the teachings of Jesus. If you do not understand the parable of the sower sowing the seed, this parable of the man who cast seed into grain, you do not have a revelation of the teachings of Jesus. This is just foundational by his own words. This is the key. This is how you do it. So look down here in the 26th verse. It says, and he said, so is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. That is one powerful passage of scripture. If you could understand this, I'm gonna try and share some of the things that God has shown me through this. If you could get hold of this, this would change the entire course of your life. This is that powerful. First of all, let me just mention that in all of these parables, there were actually 10 parables that Jesus taught this day. You don't get that by just reading Mark alone. You have to combine Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But if you put them together in chronological order, there are 10 parables that Jesus taught in one day. It's the most information about one day of ministry in the life of Jesus that we have. And every one of the parables was about how the kingdom operates 
And about seven of the ten parables were about the Word of God being like a seed. And he uses the comparison of the Word of God to a seed for a reason. You know, if he, was comp- if he was to say, here's how the kingdom works, and then he says, it's kind of like government, or if he talked about anything else, if you talk about any man-made system, those things can be perverted and can be cheated. You know, if you were talking about school, if you were saying the kingdom of God is like school, all of us went through school and sometime or another, you didn't study for a test. You didn't pay attention. And yet the night before your final exam, you just stay up, you cram all of this information into your short-term memory and you were able to pass the test, but you did not learn it. You couldn't go back today and pass that test. You didn't really learn it. You just put it in your short-term memory. In other words, you beat the system. You cram for a test, but you did not get the information. But you know what? You cannot cram for a harvest. There's a reason he used a natural system that he created. You can't cram for a harvest. You can't wait until you've already got cancer and the doctor says you're going to die. And so you go in and you stay up all night long and you fast for a week and you pray. See, this is what a lot of people try and do. But if you don't know the word of God, you aren't going to get it in a week's time. You can't cram for a harvest. You can't beat the system. This is the reason that he compares the word of God to like a seed because there is a seed time and then there's a harvest time and you have to follow these laws. Likewise, the kingdom of God operates under spiritual laws and one of them is that the word of God is to the kingdom of God the way that a seed is to this physical natural world. You probably hadn't sat down and thought about this, but this natural world, God created everything to operate off of seeds. Over in the book of Genesis, when he created, he said, let there be grass. You know, let there be trees whose seed is in itself. The way that it's stated is kind of wordy. And because, you know, I use the King James, people read this. And they just think that, you know, they don't pay attention to it. But I guarantee you, there's a reason God said things the way that he did. If he would have just said, let there be trees, then when those trees died, he'd have to create new trees. If he had said, let there be animals. And it, but see, he said, let there be animals and you be fruitful and multiply and reproduce. When God created this earth, he created everything to continue through seeds. Life on this earth can't exist without seeds. You are the result of a seed. You had a seed sown in the womb of a woman and that's the reason that you're here. All people, all plant life, all animal life, everything comes from seeds. We can't have life without seeds. And he's saying the kingdom of God is exactly the same way. It's like seeds. You would count a person absolutely crazy who went out and prayed over barren ground and fasted and believed God for a harvest but never planted a seed. You would think, what's wrong with you? You got to plant a seed. But in the spiritual realm, people do this all the time. I'm not saying any of these things to condemn anybody. I'm just trying to get my point across. I believe that this is an area that we've really missed it in and so I'm just trying to be forceful with it. 
But there's people right here in this room that you need healing and you're praying for it, but have you ever taken the seed of God's word and sown it in your heart? And there's, there's multitudes of people that would say no. I ask people when they come up for prayer often, I'll say, so what scripture are you standing on? Well, I don't know. I think there's a scripture someplace that says something about by the stripes of Jesus we were healed. Is that Old Testament or New? You know what? You don't even know. You couldn't even find it. You can't even quote it. And say, well, isn't that enough? Well, you know, that's like a woman thinking that she could get pregnant by standing next to somebody else who's pregnant. I'm not going to explain this whole thing. We got children in the audience, but... I'm just telling you, that's not how you get pregnant. You don't get pregnant after drinking the water after somebody else. You don't get it by osmosis. You gotta have a seed planted. And you know what? You can't just carry the Bible under your arm and say someplace in here, I think it says this. You need to have a little bit of intercourse with the word of God. You need to put the word in your heart. You need to get to where you know what the word says. And if you can't find a scripture for what you're believing for, then you're gonna have to have somebody else do a surrogate birth and you're gonna have to get it through them. And that's not the efficient way. You need to take the word like a seed and plant it in your heart. This is really significant. We hadn't even got into the parable yet. Just talking about how that the kingdom of God, the word of God is to the kingdom of God the way seeds are to this natural life. And if you aren't taking the seeds of God's word and planting them in your heart, you don't have to look any further than this as to why you haven't seen your deliverance. There's people that are praying for healing. There's people that are praying for finances. There are people that are praying to, for deliverance from depression and stuff. And yet you hadn't taken the word. You aren't meditating on the word. And if that's the way you are, then you're going to have to let somebody else who has been in the word and who has these things operating be the one that produces it for you. And that's not the way that God intended it. Every one of us can operate in this. Every one of us can flow in the supernatural power of God. But you're going to have to take the word like a seed and plant it in your heart. It says up here in the 14th verse, when he started to give the interpretation of the parable of the sower sowing the seed, he says the sower sows the word. He's really not talking about how to raise crops. He's actually talking about how the seed works and he's just taking something in the natural that people understand and making a comparison. The word of God has to be like a seed. You have to look at it that way. Every one of these promises, if you'll put it in your heart, it germinates. So look at this again in verse 26. The kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Notice the seed's got to get in the ground. The seed doesn't do any good until it gets in the ground. They've actually found seeds that were in the Pharaoh's tombs that are 4,000 years old and they've taken those seeds and planted them in the ground and they germinate and start growing. 4,000 year old seeds, but they never germinated as long as they were in a jar. They had to get in the ground. The word has to come off of this page and get in your heart. Your heart is the ground. Unless this word is in your heart, it doesn't release its power. There's people that reverence this Bible. I actually was in a woman's house one time and she served me tea and I set my 
teacup on top of the family Bible. And when I did, she sucked nearly all of the air out of the room. <gasps> like, how dare you put something on the Bible? So I moved it real quick and you could see the little ring around it, you know, where the dust was on this Bible. She honored the book, but she didn't have it in her heart. I'm telling you, this is, this is, I believe it's a perfect representation. I believe in every jot and tittle of the word, but I can tear pages out of my Bible. I could throw the Bible on the ground and I have not damaged the word. It's not the real rhema word of God until you take it off of this page and put it in your heart. And man, you cannot just leave the Bible on a stand someplace. You need to know the Bible. You need to know it better than you know anything else. This is seeds that God gave us that will produce anything that you need. You know, back, uh, I couldn't even tell you exactly, but it's at least 15 years ago, probably longer than that. The Lord was speaking to me things about my ministry and how we were going to have to grow and like right now, it takes us about $3 million a month to pay all of our bills and stuff. And man, at that time, I was, I don't know, $10,000 a month. And God was telling me, you're going to have to increase your believing. And you know what I did? I took scriptures on prosperity and how God would meet your need. And I took them out of the scriptures, put them on my computer, and I would read through those scriptures and just meditate on them. And what I was doing, I was taking the word and putting it in my heart. And for two years, I did that nearly daily and you couldn't see any results. And then boom, I mean, all like this, I could spend all night explaining this to you, but I got a revelation on prosperity. I got a revelation and overnight my finances begin to change. And somebody thinks, man, would you pray for me? You missed it. It wasn't through prayer. It wasn't through seeking and begging the Lord. It was through taking the seed of God's word on prosperity and putting it in my life. And that word produced a response. It wasn't through prayer. It wasn't through somebody prophesying over me. It's through taking the word of God. And you know what? We are prospering. During the great recession since 2008, our income has increased. We've doubled in the last four or five years during the great recession when most ministries are going the other direction and stuff and it's because of a revelation of the word of God. And people say, man, would you please pray for me? You missed it. It's not prayer that did it. It was the word that did it. Did you know when the stock market decreased 50%, did you know that we had a 69% increase in our stocks that I own? During the 50% decline. Somebody says, man, would you give me the guy that invested your money? You missed it. It wasn't my investor. Matter of fact, the guy invest my money heard me say this. And he came to me and he says, you know what? I invest a lot of people's money and nobody's gotten the return that you get. And it's the same guy that's doing it. I'm telling you, it's not the person that I use. It's not all of these things. It's the word of God. The word of God will cause you to prosper. If you really believe that, you would meditate in this word day and night and you would make your way prosperous and you would have good success. That's Joshua chapter one, verse nine. It's a promise. You meditate in the word day and night. You will prosper. It didn't say it might happen. It will happen. It's a seed. 
and it's an incorruptible seed. It will produce perfect results. If you aren't prospering, it's not because of the economy. It's not because your business uh, laid people off. It's because you aren't meditating in the word day and night. Thank you for that thunderous silence. <laughs> Most people disagree with that and say, man, you just, you're, you're taking this too literal. That's not true. We are a product of all of these things. Well, don't wake me up because I'm going against the flow and I'm seeing things happen and I'm telling you it's because the Word of God works in my life. You got to get the seed in the ground. And most of us don't have the seed in our heart. You can tell that by the way that we talk and the things that we do. So the very first thing he did, he cast seed into the ground and he should sleep and rise night and day. Here's another lesson. Here's another truth you learn about the word. It takes time for the word to work. And most people are into instant gratification. They want you to come and wave your hand over them and they get instantly healed. And praise God for instant healing. It does happen. I've seen a lot of people instantly heal. But you know, there's different ways. You can receive a miracle where you just get everything is totally complete all at once, but you can also just lay hands on the sick and seek, speak words over them and they shall recover is what Mark chapter 16 verse 18 says. And it's a progressive thing. When you get healed through the word, usually it doesn't happen instantaneous. It's just you taking the word of God and standing on it and you just begin to start seeing things turn around. And most people don't like that because you know what? You have to continue. It takes consistency to get healed that way. Most people want somebody just to pray for them so you can go back to being carnal and watching as the stomach turns on television and not seeking God. And you don't want, you're alive, you might seek God for a, a day or fast for a weekend or something, but man, I don't want to get to where I just have to dwell in faith and live by faith. Amen or oh me, don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. For the word to work, it has to be something you sleep and rise night and day and notice that this man didn't dig the word up every morning and see if it's working. If you plant a seed and then go dig it up the next morning to see what's happening and then replant it and dig it up and you do that day after day, you'll kill that seed. You gotta put it in the ground and just have faith that it's working. Even though you can't see anything, even though there's nothing above the ground, you've gotta have faith that that seed is doing what seeds do. And it's got to stay there. It has to be a constant thing. You can't get, you know, a 15 minute Devotion. I'm not against people doing devotions. But I'm saying if that's what you're depending on, 15 minutes in the Word a day is not going to cause the Word to germinate in your life. You're going to have to get to where it says the just live by faith. They don't go there once a week. They don't vacation there. They live there. You have to live by faith. You have to get to where the Word of God dominates you. Man, I know a lot of people that go to church once a week that read a scripture every day or something and they are just as mean as a snake. They don't live by the word of God. They don't turn the other cheek. 
Man, they are just mean and they're carnal and they're angry and they're bitter and the Word of God has very little impact. The average Christian does not let the Word of God get in the way of what they believe. And I'm telling you, that's wrong. I was witnessing to a woman one time, I was painting her house back when I was pastoring in Childress, Texas. And I was painting her house and anyway, she was a Baptist lady. And I told her I used to be a Baptist. And uh, I said, but they kicked me out of the Baptist church. And so anyway, over a week's period of time, I've witnessed to her, I talked to her a lot. And she says, you know, we need guys like you in the Baptist church. Why did you leave the Baptist church? And I said, well, they kicked me out. She says, why? And I said, because I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she says, are you talking about speaking in tongues? And I said, well, that was part of it. I said, that's not all that there is to it, but yeah, I speak in tongues. And she says, they'd kick you out of my Baptist church too. And I turned over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the next last verse where it says, forbid not to speak in tongues. And I said, right here it says, forbid not to speak in tongues. And she says, hey, there's lots of things in the Bible that we don't believe. <laughs> and when she said that, I mean, how do you minister to somebody that I don't care what the Bible says, this is what I believe. There's a lot of Christians like that. And that's the very reason that it's not working. You have to let the Word of God take root on the inside of you and keep it there and sleep and rise night and day. It takes time. And notice what else it says. And the blade should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. You know, this is a part of this that I love. When the Lord first spoke to me about the importance of the Word, I had had this miraculous encounter where I was caught up in the presence of God for four and a half months and God just renovated my life. I was passionate, but I didn't know anything. And because of it, I was floundering. And I mean, it was tough. And I was kneeling around my bed. This is before I got married and I was just up late at night and I was kneeling around my bed praying and saying, God, how do I get from where I am to where you want me to be? And it seemed impossible. And I was praying and I opened up my eyes and my Bible was laying on my bed in front of me and he says, just put your nose in this book and it'll teach you everything you need. And I took that as a word from God and I started studying the word 10, 15 hours a day, every day. And I mean, I started pouring through the Word. And the Word, I didn't understand anything. I it doesn't make sense to me how reading a book can transform your emotions, your finances, your health, everything else. But that's what the Bible promises. This isn't like any other book. I don't understand it, but I believe it. And you know, I don't understand how you can put a seed in the ground and that thing springs and grows up. I don't understand. I mean, the power that's in a seed is amazing. I've got a rock on my property that's like three times as tall as this ceiling. It's called Indian Head Rock. And I've carved a, a seat out in it. And I sit up there and watch everybody drive by. It's awesome. But anyway, in the midst of this huge rock, this rock is half the size of this auditorium. And in the midst of this huge rock, there's a little place that, you know, was hollowed out and water would stick in there and then dirt stuck in there and somehow or another a seed got in there. And this little seed has split this huge boulder that's probably 100 or 200 tons. 
and just split it. The power that's in that little tiny seed, and there's a tree growing out of this rock because there was a little pocket of water and dirt and that seed germinated. The power in a seed is awesome. And the, the power that's in these words is great. It's the greatest force that the world has ever known. God created the worlds by words. When he comes back, there's going to be a sharp two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth that turns every direction and it says it will slay his enemies and the blood will be as high as the horse's bridles. That means three to four feet high for 20 miles. And you know, when it says there's a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, I don't believe that there's a physical sword. The word is called a two-edged sword in Ephesians chapter six. You know what he's going to do? When he comes back and all of these armies marshal against him at Armageddon, he's just simply going to speak the word, not new words, words that are already written right here. He's going to speak these words and it will destroy his enemies and blood will flow three and four feet high for 20 miles. That's the power that's in this word. This is stronger than an atomic bomb, but it's got to come off of these pages and germinate in your heart. You got to give it time and you don't have to understand it. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. I'm proof of that. Man, I mean, God, you know, God didn't choose me because I was the sharpest knife in the drawer. But man, I, I learned, one of the things I learned through these parables is that the parable right in front of this about the sower sowing the seed, it wasn't the ground that had more of everything that produced the biggest harvest. It was the ground that had less, less rocks, less thorns. I thought I might not be able to be more, but I can be less. I can do that. And I thought, man, if it's just getting rid of stuff and focusing my attention on the word, I can do that. And I've done it. And God is blessing my socks off. God has blessed me in changing people's lives and stuff because of the power of the seed. Man, I just... I wished I could somehow or another open your brain up and just pour this into you and make you understand what I'm saying. There's people sitting here who you're desperate and you feel like, God, what do I do? I'm telling you, the Word of God will produce whatever it is that you need. Whatever it is. There's no limitations. There's a scripture for everything in here. I was with a guy one time holding a tent revival and his tent blew down in a storm. And he came back the next night and he says, I found a scripture that told me what the problem was. And he turned over to Isaiah chapter 54 where it says, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, amen. There's a promise in the word for everything. It'll tell you how to put a tent up. It'll tell you how to do anything. Amen. And then the next verse, it says, for the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. You know, the earth here is talking about your heart. Your heart is made to make the seeds that are planted in it just grow. And the seeds are talking about words. And here's a negative truth, but did you know it's not only the positive seed of the word of God. Every word that you hear will instantly start germinating. If people speak death over you, if you don't, if you don't discount it and if you don't stand against it, did you know that those words will germinate and they'll bring negative things forth? 
The scripture says in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. It didn't say death and life and a whole bunch of words that don't matter. No, every word is either life or death. Every word that you hear, every news broadcast, every program that you watch, every song that you listen to, every person who says anything to you is either speaking life or death. If it's according to the word, it's life. If it's contrary to the word, it's death. And your heart doesn't care what kind of seeds you put in it. You put it in there and your heart immediately starts making those words germinate and bring forth power. If somebody speaks death to you and say you're gonna die, and if you don't counter that with the word of God, you will immediately start having fear, anxiety, worry, things like that. That is a... That is an amazing truth, amazing truth. And most people don't realize this. They let the devil just plant seeds in them constantly that are contrary to what God's word says. And you don't counter it. I taught on that last night. That was really good. It was powerful. So it says, the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself. First the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Here's another truth that you learn from this parable and that is that there's stages in growth. People want to just go from zero to a thousand miles an hour all at once. That's not acceleration, that's a wreck. There's people that want to be healed of cancer and yet you've never believed to be healed of a headache. You've never prayed for a cold. You just go take a pill. You don't ever exist, exert yourself. I'm not saying it's wrong to do those things, but I'm saying when are you gonna start believing? When the doctor says you got a month to live, well, there's gonna be a blade and then an ear and then the full corn in the ear. There's a growth, there's stages. And if you wait until you're already in a hurricane before you start trying to build your house, it's not gonna work. And most Christians, when are, they, when are you gonna start believing God? Well, I could take a pill. Why pray two days over it when a pill would get me over this right now? Because you're, you're sowing. You are, you're taking the word and you're beginning to apply it. And then when something big comes along, your faith is already grown. There's steps and stages. I've learned this in ministry that you don't ever just go from not having done anything to all of a sudden seeing the full force. A person is not gonna pastor a 10,000 member church if they've never been faithful in a Bible study, if they've never done something else. If they, you have to grow into it. You couldn't handle the responsibility. You know, if the Lord hadn't have started me out small, I mean, there's no way I could bring in $3 million a month if I, you know, 20 years ago. I've grown. My faith has grown. And people don't understand this. We had a guy in our Bible college who had been in a mental institution his whole life. And he got a government program that allowed him to come into our Bible college. And this guy had never been in anywhere but a mental institution. And he was a nice guy, I really liked this guy. And I just took it upon myself to try and teach this guy. He didn't have any social skills whatsoever. He was, he was a nice guy, had a good attitude, but he'd sit at the front of the school and turn around, pick his nose in front of everybody. He just had no social skills whatsoever. So anyway, I took it upon myself to try and train this guy. And I started teaching him the book of Proverbs 
and telling him that he could do things. And the guy began to start receiving the word and he got excited and he found this place in Manitou Springs, close to where we are. And it was an old hotel that was built in the 1800s and it had burned. It was a stone hotel, had over a hundred rooms in it. And so it was gutted on the inside, but the structure was still strong. And they were trying to sell it and they were selling it for two and a half million dollars. And he went and found out that for two and a half million dollars, he could renovate it. That'd be a total of five million dollars. He took how many rooms there were, what you could get per room, what the, what the um, you know, payments and interest on that building would be. And he had this whole thing worked out and brought it to me and showed it to me. And he says, this is what God told me to do. I'm going to buy that building. I'm going to renovate it. I'm going to uh, uh, put it out to students to live in. And he was just so excited that he was going to do this. And I told him, I said, Jerry, it's great that you're dreaming. It's great that you're believing. I said, I commend you for it, but I can guarantee you this is not God. And he just looked at me as like he popped his bubble. And he, why would you say something like that? I said, Jerry, you have never worked a job in your life. You have never earned a dollar. You have lived off of your parents and then off the government. You have never made a dime in your life and you are not gonna go from never having earned a dollar to bringing in $5 million. You've never managed your own rent. You've never paid for your own meals. You've never done anything. I said, you start doing these things and then maybe someday you can do this other stuff. But you don't go from never having earned a dollar to having $5 million and being able to manage it and do this. That's just sense. That's, the way, that's what the scripture teaches. I had a guy come to me that was gonna open up a youth center in Colorado Springs and he gave me all the stats on how there was nothing for the youth to do and how that there was all these problems and he was gonna buy this place and turn it into a $2 million project and do all of this. And he showed this to me and he says, what do you think? And I said, I think it's a great idea, but you aren't the guy to do it. And he says, why is that? And I said, have you ever taught a Bible study? No. Have you ever worked with youth? No. Have you ever helped in the church? No. Have you ever done anything? No. And yet here he was gonna have this huge ministry and do these things. I said, that's not how it works. There's first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. The word of God is not gonna just instantly like that transform your life. It's gonna take time. You're gonna have to commit yourself to it. But once you understand this, time is actually your friend. It's like that seed that gets planted in the top of a rock. It doesn't split that rock immediately, but over time, that thing just grows incrementally a little bit. But after a while, it has a root that is established and you couldn't, a hurricane, a hurricane can't pull it up. Time is your friend once you begin to understand this. You know, I have spent 46 years seeking the Lord, meditating in the Word, and the Word has built up momentum I'm not planning on quit seeking the Lord. I'm still seeking the Lord with everything I've got. But I'm saying right now, I could coast if I had to. And you know what? All of the seed that I've sown and the things that God has done in my life, I'd still prosper for a period of time just because of all of the things that I've done. After a while, this time actually becomes your friend. I was ministering one time and a student came up and said, man, that was awesome. How long did it take you to prepare? Was it a week? 
I said it was 46 years. People look at stuff that I'm doing. I have students come and you know, they see us prospering and they, and they think, well, I'm gonna do that. If God will do it for you, he'll do it for me. Absolutely. But you know what? If you're just now getting started, you aren't gonna see the same things that are happening in my life right now happen in your life in the next month or two. It doesn't have to take you 46 years, but you do, there is a time. There's a seed, time and harvest, and it's more like seed and then time and then harvest, amen. <laughs> And you just have to get to where you take the Word of God and you meditate in it day and night and the Word will make a difference in your life. But it comes first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. And now I've just gotten to where when the Lord shows me things, like we're in the process of building this Bible college campus I told you about. And you know what? There's steps and there's stages to it. We didn't do the whole thing all at one time. There's steps. There's stages. This is just the way that the kingdom of God is. It's like a child. A child doesn't drive a car immediately. They have to learn some things. They have to learn how to ride a bike first. They have to do some other things. You just don't jump from nothing to seeing things done. And people don't realize this. They want instant gratification. They just want immediately. And they think if it's God, well then God could just heal me. Well. Again, there are miracles that happen because God loves us and not all of us can wait. But that is a stopgap measure. That was never the way God intended us to live. He wants you to take the word and it's going to take time for the word of God to work in your heart. Somebody says, well, man, I'm not sure I like that. I don't want to wait two years. Let me ask you this. If you don't take the Word of God and have it start working in your life, what's your next two years going to be like? How many two-year cycles have you been through already? How's that working for you? Chasing miracles and waiting for somebody else to just wave their hand over you. You know what? Two years is not that long. Man, these students that they were talking about, it, they aren't even finished with two years and they're already seeing blind eyes open and different things happening. It doesn't have to take 46 years the way it has with me. I'm a slow learner. But it, it takes time. And it's well worth the effort. So it produces first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth immediately, he putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. There is a harvest time for anybody who will commit themselves to the word of God. If you will meditate in it, I guarantee you there will come a harvest time. Right now, I'm in a period of time where it just seems like everything I'm doing is blessed. I went through a lot of rough times. I mean, people stayed away from my churches by the thousands. <laughs> but you know what? Now, we're just seeing things happen. And, but there's a harvest time. And everybody wants the harvest time. But are you willing to go through and you know, pull the rocks out of the ground, plow the ground, water it, fertilize it, pull the weeds. Everybody wants a harvest, but they don't want the work that goes with the harvest. You know, our society has gotten so far removed from this process that many of you think that vegetables come from the grocery store. <laughs> but they really don't. And steak does not come packaged and wrapped and stuff. That's not the way it comes. You know what? Somebody had to do these natural things. They had to plant 
and they had to reap and do this. And uh, many of us have just gotten away from that and forgotten it. But I'm telling you, in the spiritual realm, there are spiritual laws that govern how you receive from God. And the number one reason that most Christians are not reaping the harvest that they desire is because they haven't taken the Word of God and planted it in their life. Or they've allowed the devil to come sow other things in there that choke it. Or they get discouraged and back off of the Word and go to speaking other things. But I'm telling you, it's as simple as what I'm talking about tonight. The Word of God will produce effortless change in your life. And most people think that's impossible. Change is traumatic. That's because of the way we go about it. But if you do it with the seed, a seed doesn't struggle. You've never walked by an apple tree and heard that thing moan and shake and just, there's an apple. You know what? You just put that seed in the ground and it just takes a period of time, but it is the nature of that seed to produce other apples. It is the nature of the Word of God to produce whatever it is that you need. And it is effortless if you do it this way. The only effort is that you've got to put yourself in the Word and it's going to take some effort for you to unplug from all of the stuff that occupies your life and put your nose in the Word. You know what? I don't know very much about sports. Every time we have trivia games or something like that, I just sit there. I, I've, I've missed out on 46 years of American culture. I don't know a lot of stuff about all of it. Most of you know a million times more about all of that stuff than I do, but I, I guarantee you I know a lot of the Word because of the time I've been put in here. And, and it's going to take some effort for you to turn your back on some of the things that just is so important to you, but I guarantee you, it'll, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it. It's well worth it. Amen. And let me share with you that the number one thing that turned the Word of God and made it come alive to me is when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is one that wrote it. People wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that wrote the Word. And it says over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that the natural man, talking about just with your physical natural mind, you cannot understand the Word of God because it has to be spiritually discerned. The Word of God isn't written to your head. It's written to your heart. You have to take the Word and understand it with your heart and not your head. And when I received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's the one that wrote the Word and the whole, I mean the Bible became alive to me. Prior to that, I've read the Bible every day of my life since I was old enough to read. I've always read the Bible, but it was just, you know, a chapter a day or something like that. And I, I didn't have any understanding of it. It wasn't impacting my life. It didn't change me. But when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, man, I couldn't open up the Bible without it just God screaming at me. I mean, it's like every word came alive. And this, there's a lot of things that happen with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues is part of it. But the number one thing that changed in my life through the baptism of the Holy Spirit was it's like somebody just opened up the Word of God and it came alive to me. The Holy Spirit began to explain the Bible to me. 
Man, that's powerful. You cannot understand that. You cannot retain what I've talked about tonight. Even though you might be saying, well, I can see all of that. It makes sense. You'll lose it unless the Holy Spirit brings it back to your remembrance. John 14, 26 says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, when He has come, will teach you all things and lead you into all truth and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have spoken unto you. The Holy Spirit has to energize the Bible. The Bible is not like any other book. It is not just mental. It has to come by revelation. And the Holy Spirit is how you receive that. So if there's anyone here tonight who does not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, you know, the terminology here, many people have taken it and taught different things. I'm not going to take time to teach on that tonight. But I'm telling you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate experience from being saved. The Holy Spirit's involved in salvation, but that is not the same thing. Jesus told His disciples after they were born again, to tarry until they receive power from on high. And they were scared men that denied him before, but after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they stood right in front of the very people that crucified Jesus and said, you're the ones who crucified him. And they were bold and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. The Holy Spirit just transforms you. And it was separate from their salvation, and when they received the Holy Spirit, they spoke with tongues. Speaking in tongues is a part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's not all that there is. There's a lot more to it, but that's one of the immediate things that happens. If you don't speak in tongues, you either don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit or somebody's messed with you. You're believing the wrong thing. It's a part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's probably somebody in here saying, well, I don't believe you have to speak in tongues. I don't either. You get to speak in tongues. It's a privilege. It's an honor. Well, I believe I can go to heaven without the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. I believe that too. And you can get there quicker (laughs) because you aren't going to have any power. You can go to heaven without the Holy Spirit, but why would you want to? I'm telling you, it's from God. Some of you have seen me on television and because I don't spit and scream and yell and I don't act like most Pentecostals and wipe my fevered brow and say glory to God, you don't think I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. You came here under false pretenses. But you know what? I speak in tongues. I've spoken in tongues today. I speak in tongues a lot. Whether you know it or not, you are in one of those Holy Roller meetings. They are going to talk about you. So you might as well get something for it. Amen. They're going to talk about you anyway. You might as well receive something. I'm telling you, if you don't speak in tongues, you need it. It transformed my life. That's my testimony. Somebody says, well, I'm not sure about it. Well, I am sure about it. If you aren't sure, you ought to trust somebody who is sure. I'm absolutely convinced I have seen thousands of people just be transformed through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Outside of you being born again, it's the most important thing that will ever happen to your spiritual life. You need to speak in tongues. Somebody thinks, well, man, what if I go down there and I don't speak in tongues? I can guarantee if you don't come down here, you aren't going to speak in tongues. (laughs) 
You got nothing to lose. You got a lot to gain. I'm going to give you a free book. You got no reason. You know, if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, and if you'd say, man, I'd like to receive that, would you pray for me? I want you to raise your hand. I'd like to pray with you. Wherever you are right now, I just want you to raise your hand. Be bold with this. Praise the Lord. Lots of people. There may be somebody thinking, well, what are you going to do? I hadn't got a church for you to join. I'm just wanting to help you. There's no gimmicks. We're just going to pray for you. We aren't going to do anything weird. We just want to help you receive. So if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat, come down here, and we want to pray with you and help you to receive tonight. Come forward right now. Let's praise God for all of these. Amen. Hallelujah. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.